We all have people in our lives who have terrific stories to tell. In some cases, they are well-placed tidbits to liven a conversation, while others are repeated so much that they can be finished by someone else in the room. No matter how a story is told, there is always some sort of truth to them, no matter how small or large that speck of truth might be. Sometimes there is no shred of doubt or disbelief, while other times a few eye rolls or questions may accompany the retelling. For those who have lived adventure-rich lives, their stories are almost unbelievable, and beckon the question, did they really happen? Today's subject explores a person with those types of stories to tell. A man who has been telling and retelling the same stories to where his grown-up son needs to ask a very important question. Despite whether ready for the answer or not, it's a question that spawns the lively tale of our subject today and reveals a visual feast of entertainment and emotion from one of the most well-known names in cinema today. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a glass of almond milk from our friends at Almond Breeze. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. played by Billy Crudup, who ventures back home after being summoned by his mom when he learns that his father, Edward Bloom, has fallen ill. Will is a bit jaded by the news, as he and his father haven't quite gotten along in some time. The problem Will has with his father is that he is a teller of tall tales. You see, all Will's life his father has told him magnificent and wild tales of his life. He's told them so much, in fact, that Will has become skeptical and a bit disillusioned as a grown man. In just the three or so minutes of the movie, we get a sense of this in a montage. A tale of a large folklore-inducing catfish is told as a bedtime story around a Boy Scout campfire, to Will's prom date, and even at his wedding. Stories that when told the first couple of times are riveting, unbelievable, and entertaining, but as retold longer begin to get stale. Unlike Will, however, 
there are some who never tire of his stories and see Edward as a heroic figure, like Will's mother. She is deeply in love with Edward, and we can tell that the couple have a very special and emotionally rich bond. She tries to reconcile the relationship between her husband and her son, but both men are stubborn. After an argument at Will's wedding, the two stop speaking for three years. The only source of communication between the two is indirectly when Sandra, Will's mom, speaks to Will over the phone or through letters. Will puts the relationship between the two perfectly when he says, quote, The truth is, I didn't see anything of myself in my father, and I don't think he saw anything of himself in me. We were like two strangers who knew each other very well. End quote. All Will knows of his father are the stories he has been told growing up. The only problem is that without any evidence to go along with them, Will believes these to be what they are, tall tales that are made up. He resents his father for this, believing that he knows nothing of his actual life. Then one day a call comes in from his mother that his dad is not doing well and should come home. So with pregnant wife in tow, they fly from their home in Paris to see his parents. Will, now staring at the thinning sands within his father's hourglass, must make a choice. Does he forgive his father and try to make amends? Or does he try to understand him more while he has the chance? The answer to Will, it seems, is a very simple one to make, which sets us on the path of our subject today. Our tale unravels through narration from Will, who brings us into a flashback of his father's life. And it's a narration that I think perfectly sets us up for the rest of our time here. He says, quote, In telling the story of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is tell it the way he told me. It doesn't always make sense, and most of it never really happened. But that's what kind of story this is. End quote. Big Fish is a Feast for the Senses, based on a book titled Big Fish, a Novel of Mystic Proportions by Daniel Wallace. The novel was then turned into a screenplay by John August. The beginnings of his project, you might say, are as quirky as the movie itself. It turns out that August got his hands on the manuscript of the novel and was struck by it immediately. He had just lost his father not too long before, and as such, it really resonated with him. Approaching Columbia, he requested they acquire the filming rights, which they agreed to. Six months later, the book was published. Though the rights were acquired that quickly, 
it would take almost five more years until the movie adaptation would reach a wider audience in theaters. Most of the movie happens in flashback sequences, recounting the life of Edward Bloom as a young man. We see several moments of his life, from a young boy, all the way through to when Will is born, and the adventures he found himself in. We see everything from the time he met Sandra, and instantly knew that she was the one, to when he was a traveling salesman selling trinkets. To say Edward lived a full, happy, and rewarding life would be a monumental understatement. But to Will, it just seems too unbelievable to be true. He is very much a realist, and grounded in what he knows and expects to be true. As we experience the flashbacks, we find ourselves asking the same questions as Will. Did all of these things really happen? Big Fish is directed by Tim Burton, and it was released in 2003. It turns out, though, that Burton wasn't the studio's original choice to direct the picture. Apparently, Columbia had originally slated to have Steven Spielberg be in the directing chair. At the time, Spielberg was just coming off filming Minority Report. Planning for his vision went so far as to have the script written for the star Spielberg had in mind to play Edward Bloom. In Spielberg's vision, Edward would have been portrayed by the indelible Jack Nicholson. Eventually, the plan for Spielberg to take the helm fell through, as did Jack starring in the picture at all. Knowing what Big Fish is today, I cannot imagine what the original version might have looked like. When Tim Burton took over as the director, he was impressed by the script, stating it was one of the most original ideas he had seen since Beetlejuice. With Burton came a new vision, a new direction, and ultimately a new cast. Instead of Nicholson came Albert Finney, and alongside him, a phenomenal cast of performers to flesh out the film. I love Nicholson and Spielberg, but I honestly cannot imagine either of them involved in this project, especially Nicholson, but I think that speaks volumes about how well Finney and Burton fit this picture. I think Albert Finney and Tim Burton just seem like the perfect choices. In fact, there's very little about Big Fish that I would change. It just fits perfectly like that last missing puzzle piece. Before I watched this film, I knew very little about the plot. But the polls for me were Tim Burton, Ewan McGregor, and Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter is one of my favorite actresses, and she plays two different characters here. She plays the role of Jenny and a mysterious fortune-telling witch, and she plays both very well. 
Ewan McGregor is amazing at playing young Edward Bloom here. Which is great, because we spend the majority of the movie with this character. McGregor plays Edward with an innocence and vigor that suits the character so well. And his vibrance is infectious. I can't imagine anybody else here. He just feels like young Edward. Albert Finney stars as old Edward. And he also does great things, especially alongside his wife Sandra, played by Jessica Lange. The two have great on-screen chemistry. And their acting is on point in each scene they're in. Then there's Tim Burton, who delivers a great film from start to finish, in a very Burton-esque manner. There's a wonderfully colorful and fantastical look about this picture that feels awesome. I also really enjoy the cinematography, delivered by Philippe Rousselot. There's some terrific movement, lighting, and pacing here that really flesh out the feeling of grounded surrealism. Maybe that's the best way I could put it. The first time I watched Big Fish, I didn't know what to expect of the experience, other than a sort of imaginative wish list compiled from other Burton experiences. I feel as though, despite being a well-placed part of his filmography, Big Fish feels a bit different from the director's other efforts. Perhaps that's just a feeling I have, or maybe it's because I connected with it a bit more. But there's a lot of heart and emotion in this movie that I appreciated, especially given the subject. It's a very well-rounded movie, which was funny, touching, odd, sad, and grounded in a lot of warmth and feeling. When the end credits began to roll, I had thoroughly enjoyed my time with this movie, and I felt like watching it again. Big Fish is a movie about those who we love, and a reminder to live one's life to the fullest, and embrace the adventures of life as Edward did his. If I had to pick a favorite part of this movie, which is quite hard to do, admittedly, I think it has to be when young Edward is working at the circus. It's a circus run by Danny DeVito, which is fantastic. He's sitting in a tent, watching the acts perform in the center ring, when he meets eyes with a young lady in a blue dress across the way. She's among a crowd who is getting ready to leave the circus entirely. Time suddenly stops, as a perfect image of the moment the two spot each other for the very first time. Walking across the room, he dodges people, animals, and objects suspended in time as he gets closer to her. As he moves popcorn out of the way, he's able to say hi when time inexplicably speeds up 
to make up for the paused time. As it does, the pretty girl, still looking at him, begins to walk down the dark tunnel, and as she turns away, she also turns out of his life. That scene is amazing for me. It does a great job of putting an image to a feeling. And I also love the imagery of everything suspended in time. It's very, very well done. The truth is almost every tale told in Big Fish is a fantastic one, each having their own effect. Maybe the most powerful one, at least for me though, isn't one Edward tells at all, but one told by Will. Since we don't give spoilers here at Glay Cinema though, I'll leave that one for you to discover on your own. There's another great thing that emerged from this movie that I really enjoyed as well, which was a song. It's a song written and performed by Pearl Jam, titled Man of the Hour. Pearl Jam was commissioned by Tim Burton to write an original song for the new movie. The band, who watched an early cut of the film, were instantly moved, and Eddie Vedder, the band's lead singer, began writing a song inspired by what he had seen. It's a great song, and one that fits incredibly well with the movie as a whole. I'm a big Pearl Jam fan, and this one is up there with my favorites. If you've never heard it, it's worth a listen. I think they knocked it out of the park. Every time I hear it, I think of my grandpa which makes it all the more special to me. Big Fish is a fantastic film, told by an auteur based in the fantastical. It tells the tale of a man who's lived a very well-lived life, and who has loved and who is loved. And it beckons us to live our life as full as he did. If you like the surreal, the fantastical, or you just like Tim Burton in general, I highly recommend checking out Big Fish. It's a story that I think will stay with you, and you might hearken images from it from time to time. It has that kind of pull. So if you're interested, press play. I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you'd like to watch Big Fish for yourself, you can find it on a variety of streaming services. At the time of this recording, you can find it on services like YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, Redbox, Prime Video, and Vudu for $3.99 to rent. This episode was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the show, visit our website at glazedcinema.com. 
there you'll find more info about the show and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, the blog page on our website features each episode in written form as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema. <laughs>